in that moment, I knew that whatever next role I was going to get needed to up my ante and complete me put, completely put me in a position where I had so much money in the bank that I could quit any role at any moment that I didn't have to worry about my student loans or my responsibilities or my mortgage, that I could just be like, you know what, I'm out. And that's exactly what I did in my last corporate role. Somebody tried me and over the weekend I was like, you know what, I got tons of money in the bank now because I've been in financial services for almost nine years and I was banking all that money I got in bonuses. Now I don't have to put up with you, now I'm done. Now I'm not having this conversation. And so having options and the opportunity and the flexibility to be like, I'm not doing this anymore. That is power on a whole other level. Yo, what up, what up, what up? Dímelo, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Quien Tú Eres podcast brought to you by Plural. I'm so excited that you decided to tune in to another episode. Really appreciate the support. Uh, I feel I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling the support. And I just want to say thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And that was a clip from today's episode with Jai Vargas. It's wild, wild how the world works. Jai is someone that I've been following for a minute because she's so dope, so inspirational. I often tell other people that I want to be her. I don't think I've told her that yet, but if she's listening, now she knows. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when I first launched the Instagram for Plural, I used to literally tag the Latinista, which she founded all the time, just in hopes that they would like one of my pictures and hopefully they would follow. And to be able to meet the founder and build a relationship with her network, but also have the privilege of telling her story, I made it. This is dope. And uh, you, you could really feel her energy in that first clip, but I'm, I'm really excited to share this, this whole episode with you all. With that said, let me get into her bio. So. Jai Vargas is a career and diversity strategist that helps organizations develop engaging programming focused on career and leadership development. With a background in multicultural marketing and communications, Jai is a natural born community builder and is known as the networking and LinkedIn ninja. Jai, as I mentioned earlier, also founded the Latinista. It's an organization for Latinas and women of color invested in career and leadership development. Also, did I mention she was Dominicana and a native New Yorker? Maybe that's why we hit it off. <laughs> You'll hear all the wisdom in this week's episode. How about we just get into it? Here's the episode. Uh, I always start off with the same question, so might as well start there. You know, when people tell you to be your authentic self or you hear the word authenticity, what comes to mind for you? You know, authenticity is something that I hear really often because I do diversity training within corporations. And so I think for me, being really authentic is being able to feel comfortable in sharing so many different aspects of your identity. For me in specific, I think being able to share that I immigrated to this country from DR, the fact that I speak Spanish, the fact that I'm always going to challenge the status quo that I'm always going to speak up and speak my mind and you know I'm actually really fortunate now because I am an entrepreneur I don't necessarily have to feel like I need to assimilate to an organization you know and their status quo 
And so it's a little bit easier for me to be authentic because I run my own business. And so I choose which clients to work with and what people to engage with. But most of the time when people are working within an organization, you somewhat have to feel like you belong. And sometimes that's looking similar in spaces like everyone else in which you're working. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting. I've, I've wanted to talk to you for so long because you have, you know, both of those experiences as far as working within organizations, fitting that mold that they want you to look like, then building your own business. And then, you know, within that, you're doing so much DNI work where you're empowering others to be themselves, right? I'd love to take it back. You, you mentioned that you, you immigrated to the US. Like, tell me about that experience. At what age did you come here? You said it was from the Dominican Republic. Just tell me, like, what was that like? Yeah, so for me, it was really young. I call myself a Dominican American, a Latinx, a Latina, an immigrant. I came here when I was three years old by way of Washington Heights, like many people have in the New York City area. I loved my upbringing. You know, when I came over here from DR, I share a similar experience to a lot of people that didn't necessarily come from um, a very privileged background in DR. And so when we came here, we lived in a really tiny apartment with my aunt and her two kids. So it was seven of us, you know, in a really, really tiny apartment. And then, you know, every now and then I still go back to Washington Heights and I reminisce about all of the different, you know, corners that I used to hang out at and, and the bodega and where I went to kindergarten and middle school and wondering how many people are still here, you know, that grew up with me in this community. And I actually was watching some of your past podcasts and the video clips on your Instagram. And I heard one of the women that you interviewed, you know, talking about the fact that she's left her community and she's changed who she was for many years. And she wonders about the story that she's telling her niece and her nephew or her little cousins about having to change who you are to be quote unquote successful. So I always wonder about the people that are still there, what they're going through or, you know, some of the experiences that they share. And so I always get reminded of that, but I love that area. I always go back for some mangu. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm sure like when you visit now, it's probably so different. Like is your, is your, are your schools still there? Like middle school and, and all that? Yeah, PS 173. I mean, I go visit now. A girlfriend of mine actually opened up the only spin studio in Washington Heights, like right across the Kentucky Fried Chicken, right on Broadway. <laughs> and I went to one of her classes last year, two of her classes, and I brought like 13 Latinistas. And I was just beside myself because when I got to the studio, I was the only Latina and we were in Washington Heights. Wow everyone was white and i was like yo this is crazy i was like annie where did these women come from how did they find us like what are they doing in washington heights and she was like girl things have changed since you've been away and i was like what how did this happen i mean you know to one extent i think it's beautiful that so many people are in this culture and some aspects are still there and they're appreciating it and there are people like my girlfriend who have small businesses um, unfortunately, her business had to close because of COVID just last month. Um, but I still think it's beautiful to be able to go back and, and be able to share in some of those communities and experiences with people that appreciate it and they love it. 
um, and yeah. they're adding to it and it's evolving. It's something that unfortunately you can't stop and it's okay for me, I think. Yeah, I love the Heights. I didn't grow up in the Heights, but being Dominican, like you said, uh, most Dominicans that come in New York, they live in the Heights. And, you know, whenever I, I would tell someone I live in Manhattan or, or I lived in the Upper West Side, people would be like, oh, the Heights, right? Upper West Side, the Heights? I was like, no, 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 the Upper West Side. And they were like, yeah, 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 the Heights. I was like, no, 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 like not every Dominican lives in the Heights, granted. Um, but I spent so many nights and great times to watch the Heights because you know, there's only so many places, I mean, the, you know, before COVID, there's only so many places that actually play Spanish music. Yeah. So I like almost refuse to go out sometimes if they don't play Spanish music, like I have to hear something. Um, so yeah, I've had many fond memories of Watch the Heights and it holds a very special place in my heart for sure. I know. And, and you know what, I, I really do hope that after COVID and once we all get somewhat back to normal, that we start, you know, investing in some of these small businesses, like, you know, and forget about La Marina and super huge businesses like that, but these little like tiny shops and bodegas and cabarets and just places where we can go. I don't smoke, smoke hookah, but just places <laughs> where we can go and live the culture and be with our people. I hope that those yeah. places still open and survive. Same, or, or else my, my nightlife experience is gone. Um, <laughs> I, I also want to ask you, like you, you, you came, you immigrated to the U.S., and I'm wondering, like, when you first got here, you, you were still really young. So did you remember a sense of trying to assimilate to, like, the United States, or you, you, you were, for most, for most part, you were around, like, your own people, right? So did it feel different at all? I was. I mean, when I came here from DR, it was basically like you were still in DR. It was just the city of New York. <laughs> it was completely DR. I mean, parts of Washington Heights you go and you still feel like you're in DR in some aspect. And then when I was in about third or fourth grade, my family moved to Jersey. And that's where my whole world completely got flipped upside down. I mean, in my entire high school, I was one of five Latinas. And those girls till this day are still my best friends. And so it's really interesting to see you know, what my experience was, and it was absolutely a very, very privileged experience because I grew up in a white high school in Bergen County, New Jersey. And so that is being my most authentic self when people are like, Jai, why do you speak like that? Like, you speak so white, like you speak so corporate. I'm like, I grew up in this. How else would I speak? My accent went away when I was three or four years old. And so it was really, really interesting to have those opportunities, to have that privilege, to have a guidance counselor in high school that told me like, your goal is to get to college and get through it. My mom actually, and my dad graduated college, but it was in DR, right? And so when they immigrated here, all of their experience was out the window. You know, unfortunately those degrees weren't recognized here. And so then it was my opportunity to be like, all right, I gotta get, to and through college, that's all I have to do. My parents didn't know the system here, so I was extremely privileged in the fact that my counselor was guiding me through those conversations. I wanted to go away to Miami, to college, you know, to Florida, to wild out, get crazy. And my mom was like, ¿Quién tú eres? You're not going anywhere. <laughs> you don't know how to cook. You don't know how to do laundry. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. You would never survive. And so I ended up going here locally in New York and uh, it was an awesome experience. 
And I think I would have been a really different person if I had gone away to college. Um, and not in a better way, in just a different way, but the confidence and the drive and the tenacity and the audacity that I have, that's completely New York born and bred. There's no way that I'd be the person that I am today without having gone to school and through so many of these experiences in New York City. So I'm so thankful that I stayed here. What, what were some of those experiences that helped shape who you are now? Like you speak a lot about this New York grit and this toughness and the audacity even that you have these days. Like what was it that, that brought that out of you? Yeah, I mean, I think just being surrounded by other people in New York City that were just doing everything they could not only just to survive but to thrive really taught me that like man you gotta hustle here i went to fit and then i went to F nyu you know it was really interesting because i always thought of myself as uh, a creative person but not in the sense of like making and when i started being surrounded by all these incredible designers at FIT that were literally making their outfits every single day and every single week into the shoes that they were building. And the people that I got to meet, like my classes were being taught by Donna Karen and Tommy Hilfiger and Michael Kors was there and, you know, Carolina Herrera. And to be able to be in class and be taught by these icons, I was like, there's nowhere else in this world except maybe Paris that you can get this experience. And so I wasn't going down that route of fashion, but it really taught me a lot about the hustle that these people had that I knew that I could make it. And I used a lot of those experiences just being surrounded by other students that were like, yo, we're gonna be grinding it out till four o'clock in the morning and we're building shoes and like we're building our outfits. And I was like, that's a thing, you can do that? I studied advertising and marketing. And so for me, I think my creativity came out in the form of commercials, you know, and really early on multicultural marketing. And that's eventually what I went on to build a whole business around now known as diversity and multicultural strategy. So I, I think I was really lucky and really blessed to be around that ecosystem that taught me so much. That is incredible. I didn't know you went to FIT. Was, so if, if it wasn't marketing, was there potential that you were going to be, I don't know, like the next Donna Karen or something? <laughs> like, what were, you, what were you thinking there? I don't even know what I was thinking. I have no idea. I actually wanted to go to school for graphic design. Oh. My parents didn't really understand the system. Um, I applied to school and I was like, yeah, I want to go into graphic design. Like, this seems really interesting. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Where's your portfolio? And I was like, oh, I don't have one. And they were like, okay, so take a year off, build a portfolio and then come back to us. I was like, yeah, no, that's not an option. They're like, what else do you want to study? I was like, I don't know. You know, the person was really coaching me and asking me, what inspires me? What are you passionate about? What moves you? And at 18 years old, you're like, I don't know. What? Are you kidding me? What moves me? I'm extremely obsessed with cars. I grew up in the New York auto show. What moves me? Mercedes Benz, BMW, like Rolls Royce. That's what moves me. I love that stuff. And my counselor was actually like, all right, so why don't you go work for those companies? And I was like, all right. And I looked it up. Mercedes Benz was actually 20 miles away from my home in Jersey. And that's where I got my first job in corporate America, Mercedes Benz headquarters. And from there, I was like, oh my God, this is, 
I can't believe that this is actually attainable. Like, and I literally just did that. So that was the audacity of you at 18 or whatever age your, your young self was to say, yeah, I'm going to do that. (laughs) And there was really no, no, no understanding of a barrier at that point. You know, when I was applying, the internet wasn't what it was. This was more than 16 years ago. And so for me, I literally looked up the headquarters. It was in Montville, New Jersey, 20 miles from my house. I printed my resume. I showed up to Mercedes-Benz headquarters. The security guard asked me, okay, who are you here to see? And I said, you know, HR, I'm here to have an interview. And he was like, all right, well, what's her name? And I was like, well, she works in HR, so I'm here to interview. And he was like, you don't have an interview. You don't have a name. You don't have anything. I was like, yeah, no, but I need to speak to someone and give my resume to someone in HR because that's what my counselor said I need to do. And so I'm going to sit here. (laughs) And uh, so he allowed me to go in. I sat in the lobby. The receptionist probably also felt bad for me. And she was like, look, I got a girl that works in HR. She's busy. But if you hang tight, like she'll come out and she'll just have a conversation with you. She's like, we're not even hiring interns right now. Like you're here a long time. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I know I'm just, you know, proactive. (laughs) And so I sat there for a good long while and this great lady came out and she was like, well, tell me about your experience. Like, where have you worked? And I was like, well, um, I worked at a summer camp taking care of a bunch of kids and I'm a receptionist at an ophthalmologist's office. So I push paper and I answer the phone, but I'm studying advertising and marketing. And I know more about this brand and these cars and each model more than probably half of the people in this building. Like you can test me on all these cars in this lot and I can tell you about the engines and where they were built and all of the history of this incredible brand. And she was like, girl, you probably know more than me. I know HR stuff, you know the cars, you belong here. She's like, so what department do you wanna work in? I was like, PR, advertising, marketing, that's all I'm learning. I don't even know it. And she connected me with someone in communications and one thing led to the next and I got an incredible job in the PR communications department. One of the most incredible parts of my job that sounds completely ridiculous is the fact that I actually got to take the brand new cars that were still covered in tarps that came from Germany to the car wash. I was, I got to go to the car wash with these brand new supercars. And people thought like, I was the lowest of the low. I like, who wants to go to the car wash? Like what kind of intern, (laughs) you know, what? And to me, I was like, oh my God, yo, if Instagram was around back then, You would have seen me on all types of hoods. Like it was crazy. <laughs> Thank God Instagram wasn't around back then. It was the most incredible time of my life. And that fire and that love and that passion that I felt every morning when I jumped out of bed and I was like, yo, we're getting the new S class today. It's going to be crazy. We got the smart cars in. I got to drive a convertible to Rhode Island and, you know, bring presents to kids in Newark with a Santa Claus. And it was just like the most unbelievable experiences. 
And that's crazy. To this day, yeah, till this day, I know that that's the standard. That's the level of love and passion that I need to have in every job or every client that I work with. And there have been so many parts of my life working in corporate America where I felt the absolute opposite of that. And I knew then and there, all right, it's time for me to go. Because I know that that feeling is possible and it's attainable. And so that's always been my North Star. Maybe one day I'll go back. That is crazy. I mean, the viewers can't see it because the camera was focused on you, but my jaw was literally open the entire time. I'm like, how was this your first job? God, I loved it. It was incredible. It was just like, for me, that was a total dream. And I think that standard was set so high. That's where I've always kept the audacity to always just strive for what I knew I could attain because it was possible. I was like, yo, you can't even get any higher than that. Like I've done that. Everything else is a piece of cake. And you just walk in and you're like, that's going to be mine if I know I need it. <laughs> it. Well, the craziest thing about that story, obviously the perks and all of those things were just crazy right like if if tinder was open back then and i had that job oh my god all my tinder pics in front of the mercedes benz convertible drop tops instagram too oh have all the ladies (laughs) (laughs) i'd have been killing it uh the craziest thing about that story which maybe some people may just glance over is the fact that you didn't even have an interview that day you just walked in and in some people like they'll give up after submitting like two resumes and they're like oh i didn't get a call back this isn't for me. Like you literally sat in the lobby and just waited until someone would see you. That's, that is, that, that like more people need to have that. Absolutely. You know, and back then I didn't have anything to lose. I was so young. I, I didn't have school that day and didn't have a job. And so I was just like, well, what do I have to lose? I've got my cute little folder. I've got like five copies of my resume. Let me just roll up there. I know how to get past them all. So let me just sit there and see what happens. And I was so lucky that day that that woman came out and I think she just had mercy on me. I think she felt bad. Thank God for the security guard. He just looked at me and was like, all right, girl, <laughs> try it out, see if it works. And it did, it really did. Wow. And were you, were you intimidated at all? I mean, obviously you got the job, it sounds like an, an amazing experience, but I'm sure like you being young, maybe not that many people looking like you in the office, and it doesn't have to be this job, but it could just be like any of those early jobs. Like, did, were you intimidated at all? Like any, any sort of emotions of just like anxiety, just like look at all these experienced people around me and like, who am I? Like, do I deserve to be here? Any of those feelings? You know, I think to some extent, yes. And it was on the part of like, how well can I write? because I'm in the public relations department, in the communications and journalism department. How well can I write? How can I articulate myself like 19 years old? But I think that the fact that I knew everything about this car, this brand, this history, these models, I think that overcompensated to what I was lacking or still learning in school. And I think they had mercy on me because I was an intern. So they were used to nurturing young people into showing them how to write and how to articulate their thoughts. And I learned so much about writing executive bios. I managed the internal newsletter, you know, 
there was this really interesting part of my job where people actually wrote in to the company and asked for favors or requests, whether they were asking for gifts for the church or whether they were asking for a car as a donation to be able to do the work that they did. And so my job was to sift through all of those letters and be able to give it to my boss and say, all right, I think we can actually do these because it's a church and it's a school and it's local, it's nearby, they're really deserving. Or, yo, this priest is asking for like a brand new S class in white with like red leather, yo, this guy's wildin'. Like there's no way that I'm gonna grant this wish to this priest. There's just no way. Who does he think he is? I would get like the most ridiculous requests. <laughs> oh man, that that's so funny. And, and um, tell me about like after that job, you said you went on to do a bunch of different roles in multicultural marketing specifically. Like what was that experience like compared to your first job? And you also mentioned that, you know, that job set a, such a high bar for you and what you should expect in corporate America. You know what were you know what were some also some of those letdowns potentially that didn't necessarily align with with what you were looking for? Yeah, so it was really interesting when I was at that job. I started noticing that I was actually losing my culture and my language. So what I did is I met this guy, and he's an incredible man, and I'm still friends with him to this day. He was running what was known as the diversity and the multicultural aspect what little, very, very little there was in that company. It was a German company in the US, in Jersey. And so what I started to build was the case for me running or having some stake in the multicultural aspect or for the Spanish speaking buyers of these cars. And I wanted to work towards being in that diversity space. So I tried to build my own job. I had this amazing binder. I really wish that I would have kept it but I was creating my own job. I pitched it to senior executives. I pitched it to my boss. My boss was so for it, but when it came to the senior executive role, they were like, no, Latinos don't buy these cars. Like, we're not doing that right now. This was a really long time ago, and this is a German company. And so I realized that as much as I loved being there, I needed to go, and I needed to keep my culture and my language somehow, because for some reason, I knew that was important. And so I moved on. I actually went to work for a public relations agency that was a multicultural agency. So all of our clients were hiring us to be able to get into the Latino market as well as the Asian and African American markets. So I was helping companies like Pfizer and Prudential and MTV create press releases, fundraise, and develop events for those multicultural communities. And that was really what gave me the experience in all of these different industries that I knew nothing about. And I was able to use my language. And that opened me up to traveling to different parts of the country to be able to say, hey, let's talk about Pfizer's Plan B program for the Latino community. Here it is in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. And so that was incredible to be able to learn so much in such a short period of time. I think I was there for four years. That I love that. I mean, it's crazy because some of those conversations still happen till this day, right? Like I'm, I'm in advertising as well. Um, and 
you know, many times I go into meetings and I pitch clients on the importance of multicultural marketing, specifically like Hispanic. And they'll give me this look as, as, as if like the Hispanic audience is too niche, but at the same time, they'll run, they'll run ads specifically for like gaming, gaming audience. And I'm just like, but that's not niche. Like it just doesn't make any sense to me, but yeah, I feel like that sometimes just like that brands don't prioritize us at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they still don't. Such a shame. And um, yeah, it's been an incredible experience. So I had the opportunity to work in automotive and then I got some experience in financial because of Prudential, you know, um, healthcare because of Pfizer and then entertainment and nonprofit because of MTV and the Latino Commission on AIDS. I've been on the board of the Latino Commission on AIDS for about 14 years now. That is the only nonprofit that I've dedicated my time, my energy, and my money to. And it's been an incredible, incredible experience. Um, I think that, you know, so many Latinos are looking for a way they should or they want to give back in. And I was really fortunate to have found that nonprofit 14 years ago. And it's and for me, it was important to hone all of my energy and all of my time into just one. Just recently, I also started supporting St. Jude because they flew me out to Memphis. And I was absolutely beside myself when I learned about the incredible things that they do for these families. Like, you obviously have heard of the impact and of the incredible changes and movements that they've made in cancer for children across the world. But until you live the experience of being in that hospital and see thousands of families and all of these babies, there was not a dry eye in that room or in that hospital. As soon as you walk in, this overwhelming sense of emotion and gratitude i mean still to this day i can't even almost articulate it it was just unbelievable and so i've dedicated a lot of my time and my money for saint jude and it's unbelievable what they do so i love that i i've been able to explore these experiences and and find these nonprofits. and the work that i do with the latinista is to be able to share with women hey you want to spend time and energy and money on something great that's really meaningful, even if it connects with you or not, here are some of the organizations that I've dedicated my life to. So I love that I've been able to, to find those. Yeah, and, let, and let's get into the Latinista. What, what made you wanna launch it? And, and when did you feel like this is the right time, I'm just gonna do it? Hey! <laughs> always, I, I studied advertising marketing, right? So it's always about branding. Um, So I started the Latinista eight years ago. Um, I started it while I was still in corporate America. It was somewhat of my side hustle. I'm an extremely extroverted person. So I'm a LinkedIn and networking ninja. Like I'll do four networking events a day. Most of the time when I was in corporate America, I was out there representing the brand, but also myself. I was at a networking event for breakfast, lunch, dinner, the after party, and I was the last one home. Like, I just love people. I love networking. I love connecting others. I'm a total, total extrovert. I get my energy from being around others and inspiring them. I was so lucky to have been able to attend conferences 
around the world. And what I asked myself was, how come there's not many Latinas or women of color here? And every time that I would come back from one of these trips, whether it was in Aspen or in Mexico or wherever, I was like, hey, how come you weren't at the Aspen Ideas Festival? Or how come you weren't at CHCI in DC? Or hey, how come you weren't at you know, USHCC in Denver? It was incredible. It's where I've met all of my sponsors and champions and mentors. And all of the Latinas that were surrounding me in New York were like, I didn't even know about it. Or, oh, you know what? My company's not gonna spend the money to send me. Uh, and I don't even know how to ask for that. And so they just wouldn't. And so I thought it was really important for me, number one, to build that community, to inspire and encourage and give them the confidence to ask for what they should be investing in. And so I started building this community really, really small. My first networking event was at this beautiful Peruvian restaurant right you know, in um, Madison Square Park. And it was like 12 of us. And we just networked. And I said, hey, here's my girl from JP Morgan. Meet this other girl from Goldman Sachs. Like, oh, by the way, here's Maria. She's looking for an opportunity. What about you at Deutsche Bank? Can you hook her up? Extremely accomplished women that were looking for networking opportunities. And that started to morph into really strategic and specific workshops where not only me, but I was bringing in subject matter experts that were helping these women negotiate salary, understand their benefits, you know, figure out how to articulate their value and their worth, or how to have those really difficult conversations with their bosses and managers about some crazy ass, you know, you know, situation that just happened with their coworkers. And so it's been eight years. I have chapters in New York, Chicago, Miami, LA, and San Diego. And there was an incredible silver lining because of COVID, we're now international. I have women in Spain and Mexico and China that didn't have these networks or resources or webinars to be able to learn from. And so I'm not limited to the women who can show up in Chicago for that one event. God forbid it rains or it snows, now my webinars are everywhere. So it's been an incredible ride. I have a Latinista board of about 12 incredible women who helped me pull this all off. It's certainly not me. I have bestowed it upon all of them because they de deserve all of the credit in the world for doing this with me. That's, it's so beautiful what you've been able to build. I'm a follower yeah. uh, and, I, and I've been inspired by your content because yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so motivational, it's so empowering and like a lot of what I try to do is really inspire people to start that self self discovery phase. But that next phase is really just like, all right, well now that like I'm trying to figure myself out, like how do I do exactly what I'm trying to do? Ask for that raise, ask for what I deserve. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk about like some, some of the, some of the people that you work with in that audience. Like what, what do you find to be their biggest challenge as far as um, like asking for what they want? Cause I, I, I'm, I'm just here guessing like a lot of this has to do with cultural as well. Um, a lot of us were raised with that mindset of like, just be grateful for what you have. Right. Um, I, even my mom, like when I was telling her about, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for a raise. My mom was like, no, no, no. Like just wait till the end of the year. They give you a 3% raise. And I was like, Oh mom, so old school. You know, like what, what do you, what are the, what are some of those conversations like? And what are some of those 
misconceptions that you're really like aiming to break with them? Absolutely. Culture and upbringing and being humble is something that we as Latinas and immigrants have unfortunately taken a lot of part of. You know, Latina Equal Pay Day was not too long ago, October 29th. And for those of you who aren't sure what that means, it's not something that we celebrate. We recognize that day because a Latina professional has to work all of 2019 and up until October 29th of 2020 to make what a white non-Hispanic man made only in the year 2019. And the reason why we're here, you know, is made up of so many different parts. But I've met so many Latinas in corporate America that are doing extremely well, but also some that have gotten stuck in this entry level role or have been part of an organization for 10, 15, 20 years, and they don't have the vocabulary, the audacity, or the language, or the know-how, or the connections, or the network, or the confidence to be able to ask for that raise, or the confidence in being able to say, you know what, I've already asked you five times for a raise, and you're only going to give me 3%, I'm out of here. They don't have the network, they don't have the connections to be able to be like, oh, I can call my boy at Bloomberg and I'm done here, like tomorrow. Right. And so a lot of what my community does is bring forth those women that are like, hey, I've been there. I got you like you are a data scientist. You at least should be making this amount of money. And for me, I think it's been incredible to be able to connect other women. I have to some extent full transparency into knowing what these women are making because I'm bold enough to be like, hey, Maria, nice to meet you. I'm Jai. So, okay, you're a data scientist. All right, you work in that role. How much are you making? And at first they're like, oh my God, oh my God. That's like, what is she, why is she asking? Oh my God, how rude. And I'm like, do you want my help or not? Because I know like 20 other women that are data scientists that have your background that are making like 160. So do you want to have this conversation or not? I don't know what you think you're doing here. So I've been really, you know, just, um, I think, instrumental in being able to empower these women, to connect them with other women in similar roles, to get them out of those really awful situations so that they can get what they're worth. And if we need to put them in more schooling or go through a certification or read another book or get them a mentor, that's what my network does. And I love it. I have helped so many women get jobs and that's like my little crown that I get to wear. <laughs> I love that. You're, you're closing the pay gap uh, one event at a time, one person at a time. I love that. And uh, it, it's interesting, right? Because you are direct in many ways, right? You, you, you're referencing that, that moment where you ask someone how much money they make and they're like, whoa, like, why are you asking me that? That's so personal. Um, I'm sure you're not like that with the Latinista. I'm sure you were like that in corporate America as well. Like, was that ever met with any resistance? Like, what was some of the feedback that, that you got around just like you being yourself? You know, it was really interesting. Some people don't realize how much information you can ask for. You know, when I was in corporate America and I was there for about 16 years, at first, you don't ask these questions. You're just grateful. Like your mom said, just be grateful, thankful you have a salary and income and benefits. Don't push your luck. And once I started being surrounded by these other mentors, they were like, 
you know, hey, how much are you making and what's your band and what's the flexibility and what do you have to do to get, you know, higher up in the levels or the bands? And I was like, I have no idea. I don't even know what that means. And they were like, yo, go talk to my girl, Amy in HR and she'll give you everything you need to know. And I asked Amy and she was like, yeah, this is all information you're allowed to ask. And I sat with her and she laid everything out for me. And I was like, oh my God, I don't think people know this. Or I don't think my Latinas know this. And so I started sharing a lot of those conversations. <clears throat> There's a quick story I'll tell you. One of my last roles that I was jumping into, I interviewed probably for about four months. And when I was in the interview process, I asked the hiring manager, you know, so tell me a little bit about the person that just left this role. Can I meet her? What's her name? And they were like, oh, oh, no, don't worry. Like she left in really good terms. She left because she was going to a better opportunity. I was like, yeah, that's great. What's her name? I want to meet her. And they were like, uh oh, is this girl going to be difficult? Or like, wait, what is this? And they were like, no, she left in good terms. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm going to reach out to her. Her name is Millie. I connected with Millie and I was like, Millie, I'm about to fill your role here in this organization. Tell me the good, the bad, the ugly, and how much you were getting paid. And she was also like, oh, oh my God. And I was like, you're off to a better organization with a better opportunity, probably making more money. So what do you have to lose by telling me what you were making? And she did that. She told me the good, the bad, the ugly, and how much she was making. We had different backgrounds, but at least I knew what that organization already had in budget. So I came to the table and I was like, this isn't even a number I was going to bring forth, but Millie was getting this. So I deserve this too. And they gave it to me. And I was like, all right, do women know that they can do this to ask who the person was that just left this role, connect with that person and be like, yo, what was your salary? What about the bonus? What about this incentive? All of those things just totally blew my mind. And those are some of the conversations that I have with my Latinistas and they actually do them. And to get these emails that I receive from them, like, oh my God, it actually worked. Or you know what? Wow. I was beside myself on what they said. And so it's been a whirlwind and I love everything that we've done so far. I love that. Again, my, my jaw is just like to the floor because those are questions that we want to ask. If we had that information, it would make us, it would make situations so much easier, our lives so much better. And we never ask them because we're just like either scared. And the worst case scenario is really that they just say no, that they don't want to answer it. Yeah. But they're questions that people never ask. I love that. Yeah. And you know what? We're extremely blessed and we're so privileged to live in a city like New York where these jobs are like a dime a dozen. You know, you have like 14 different corporations on one single block that'll pay you way more. And so there is no lack of opportunity here. You have to have that network. You have to have that confidence in being like, it's cool. You don't want to give me Millie's name. I'm going to, you know, Toyota tomorrow. So I'm fine. Like, all right, we need this girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm so curious. Um, why like obviously money is very important right and it clears so many barriers right like you're able to do so much more with your life with money right i'm curious like when was money or like 
when, when did money become so instrumental to like what you see as successful or like a gateway towards something else? Yeah, I know the exact moment I was in an awful, awful, awful position at a company which shall remain nameless, but you could find it on my LinkedIn. <laughs> it was an awful situation that I was in. I cried almost every day going into this role. It was an organization that was touting diversity and inclusion, but because of the mere industry that they were in, they weren't able to really exude the fact that they were divorce, diverse or an inclusive organization. I was so miserable, but at the time I had just purchased my first home and I had just gotten married. I had a huge mortgage and I had so many responsibilities. I was so miserable in that role. I just wanted to quit. And because I had a mortgage and so many responsibilities and student loans, I wasn't able to. Without money, you have no access to flexibility and opportunity. Without money, you are totally limited. In that moment, I knew that whatever next role I was going to get needed to up my ante and completely put me in a position where I had so much money in the bank that I could quit any role at any moment, that I didn't have to worry about my student loans or my responsibilities or my mortgage, that I could just be like, you know what, I'm out. And that's exactly what I did in my last corporate role. Somebody tried me and over the weekend I was like, you know what, I got tons of money in the bank now because I've been in financial services for almost nine years and I was banking all that money I got in bonuses Now I don't have to put up with you. Now I'm done. Now I'm not having this conversation. And so having options and the opportunity and the flexibility to be like, I'm not doing this anymore. That is power on a whole other level. I agree. I agree. I've said this for so long, but like for me, money represents freedom in so many ways. Like to your point, like you don't, if you're miserable in a situation, many people put up in that, put up with that situation because they need it, right? They need the paycheck. But if you have the freedom to say like, no, I'm actually going to do something that I really care about that I'm interested in. Um, and I don't have to put up with this bullshit because of, yeah, because like of what you're paying me. So yeah, I, I, I'm aligned with that, but I'm sure like people have that question going into it as well. Um, I mean, I, I, let's face it. Like you are to me looking on the outside in, like you are so authentic, so passionate, And what I love about you is that, you know, when you mentioned authenticity, it wasn't about looks or things externally, right? Where people can just see it. It's more so your person, your personality, how you, how you act, how you speak, um, how you carry yourself. Um, Is there anything that you're still uncomfortable hiding? I mean, I'm sorry, uncomfortable sharing with the world that you may not be ready yet? Ooh, that's a tough one. You know, and I'm fairly young still. How old am I? I'm 37. In my 37 years, I've been through quite a bit and some aspects of my life that I haven't shared, but that I've connected with organizations that have, that have completely gotten me through some really difficult situations. I help the LGBT community so much because of what I've been through in my personal life and experiences and what I've been through with my ex-husband. 
you know, and there are so many different aspects of my life that I've yet to really say I've gotten to the most authentic and full transparency because it's not time yet because I'm so full of the opportunity and of what I'm delivering for my community and what I'm building right now. So there are some things that I am completely enthralled in when it comes to connecting with these organizations and helping very specific communities. Um, but I can't say that I've 1000% put that as part of my personal and professional brand yet. There will be a time that I get to that level. It's just not time yet. And so I think that's something that I'm absolutely looking forward to walking through that door one day. Yeah, no, for sure. I feel like we all have something at some level that we're not totally comfortable sharing with, with certain, with certain communities. Um, I'm so curious, like last two questions. One, when did you start calling yourself Jai? Ooh, Going you know by Jai. Yeah, it was a very, very long time ago. I think I was probably in high school definitely high school or maybe even eighth grade or so you know and i started doing that because when you're in a classroom and roll call is happening there's always this pause when a teacher goes maria daniela patrick uh, and i'm like that's me yeah. that's always me jaindi jaindi and it's not that i don't appreciate that name or its identity or its uniqueness, because that's really what sets me apart. Um, but it just got too complicated with me. And I studied branding and advertising and I started saying, you know what, I like Jai. I love the fact that it's short, it's to the point, it's unique. And I've used it as part of my brand for so many years um, that it's just part of me now. My mother doesn't even use my full name, which is really interesting. She calls me Jane, you know, and it's so interesting. And she never has called me by my full name. It was just, Jaindi is actually a Taino princess from Dominican Republic. And it's so beautiful. Maybe one day I'll make it part of my brand. But for now, I'd like it to be short and to the point. I've done such an incredible job of branding myself on LinkedIn that I'm the only Jai. And so I've gotten to a point where I'm like, yo, I'm going to own this. <laughs> That's so interesting that your mom um, calls you Jai as well. I know. What was she thinking? What was this? I have no idea. And my middle name is Altairacia. So it's like, <laughs> oh my God, Jaindi Altairacia. And at one point, actually, when I started working at Mercedes, I actually was calling myself Mercedes for some time. <laughs> no, that's like, who knows what kind of psychological stuff that was going on in my mind. But my godmother's name was Mercedes. And I was like, yo, my favorite car is Mercedes. My godmother's name is Mercedes. Like, I'm Mercedes. <laughs> so I started calling myself that. And I was like, all right, that lasted for all of two years. And now I'm just back to Jai. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think it's it's something pretty common as well. Um, like my I have a god sister named Saisha, and mm -hmm. she just she just shortened it to Sai. Oh, I have I a friend. Yeah, um, Jai Sai. I have a friend named I, I, I don't even know how to say her full name. Um, I always thought her, her name was Monse, but it's actually, it's like Monse something. Monse um, Yes. Oh, do you, you know her? Yeah, I know Monse yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, we met many years ago in Miami at a conference. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I never knew her full name and you know, she just calls Monse. I mean, it's something that I deal with as well, as far as like whenever I go to Starbucks and they ask me my name and I don't say it's Pavel or Pavel, I just say it's Kobe. I literally just make up a name. Oh, funny, I do the same thing. Yeah, because it's very just like awkward experience. So I, I get that as well. I was just really curious. Um, all right. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So I'll finish with this last question. What's one thing that continues to inspire and empower you to be your authentic self? Hmm, I think something that continues to inspire me to be my most authentic self is the fact that I've always used my culture, my language, my community and my people to be who I am and to build the career that I have. You know, having my own business now and being an entrepreneur gives me the flexibility to show up as myself. I don't know if you realize this, Pavel, but you and I share a superpower. It's the fact that we speak Spanish. 16 years ago, that was my unique identifier. When my career counselor was like, what's gonna make you different than all these other interns that are going for the same jobs? 16 years ago, I was like, damn, I actually think I'm the only one in this room that can speak Spanish. So really, really early on, I was like, yo, I'm gonna be the Hispanic market subject matter expert. And even though that's still something I'm working towards, because I don't think you can ever get to a level where you're an extreme expert, right? And so it's something that I've evolved into, something that I'm super confident in. It's the work that I've built for myself. So I think what inspires me to keep being that most authentic self is the fact that I get to choose who I surround myself with, those women inspire me what they do every single day they're super brave and being able to stand up for what they believe in and what they know they should be making and the fact that i can turn down clients that i see are completely irresponsible or non-authentic themselves you know in the work that i do i get calls from all different types of organizations like major organizations that want to use me as a tool to be able to say that they are diverse and inclusive and having those deep conversations. When I know that my girls that work there are going to tell me the truth. And so there's the very thin line between making money and also making sure that I'm doing impactful work for organizations that deserve to work with me. And so I love the work that I'm doing.